welcome to Say That, the podcast for your big questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago, and joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the president of Mission USA. Yeah, okay, all right. I'm here. He, we don't actually make him do the show against his will, but you'd never know it from the intro. <laughs> also joining hey, us is Jed Brewer, the director of Mission USA Productions. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> joining us via the magic of the interwebs, all the way from Oakridge, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. Why is Glenn in a straight jacket? He's just more comfortable that way. We try to get him to take it off, but he says it soothes him. <laughs> well, look, guys, as we creepy. start this week's episode, I just I start with a heavy heart because I feel like we have um, a double agent in our midst. I feel like we oh. have someone who's working both sides of the fence. And you mean like um, a Soviet double agent? Well, I think we may have um, a Canadian double agent. What? Whoa. And on that basis. I declare a maple syrup flavored emergency. Emergency. <laughs> if you didn't enjoy that first Canada stereotype joke, you may want to skip ahead a few <laughs> minutes because they're going to be coming hard and heavy. Look, um, we're all proud Americans on this podcast. Yeah. Um, you sure. know, we, we believe in. I'm going to rein myself in before that goes somewhere uncool. Very good. Um, <laughs> but we believe in freedom. Right. Um, and we believe in bacon as God intended it. Exactly right. We believe in a cured meat product. We don't believe in ham. Right. No. Masquerading well, as we, bacon. Let's say we, we believe in ham. But as ham. But, but as yeah. ham. We want as truth ham. in labeling. Say, Identify yourself. That's what I'm talking about. Like a Virginia ham. Fine. That's fine. But yeah. not a Canadian bacon, because that's sure. just ham. Because... Uh, we've said this on the show before, I've pointed out, and rightly so, that when Canadians take out a hunk of ham and they say, check it out, it's bacon, you know what that is? That's a lie. That's a breakfast lie. Glenn doesn't okay. like his food lying to him. And you know what? You can lie about anything you want, but don't lie about bacon. Okay? Some things are sacred. That's what I'm trying to say. This is bacon. This is serious, y'all. Well, Glenn, I'm um, glad that you uh, brought that up because um, there's something I've been meaning to bring up to you for a while. Oh, is this like an intervention? It's more an accusation. Okay. Um, <laughs> One could argue that those are interchangeable depending on the family dynamic involved. <laughs> um, I went in your refrigerator. Watch out for Jed's new show, Accusation, on A&E. <laughs> I went in your refrigerator earlier and... Uh, to be honest, I was shocked, disturbed, and appalled because I saw bottle after bottle of Canada Dry brand ginger ale. As the kids say, plot twist. <laughs> well, uh, first of all, uh, I would I would just like to say I had no idea that Canada Dry had anything to do with Canada. I see. You thought it was like Canada geese and it was named after the guy who invented ginger ale? Yeah, I mean, uh, my assumption is uh, that it was probably named after, like, a city, an obscure small-town city in, you know, like, Iowa. Okay. Like, Canada, Iowa. Mm -hmm. Sure. So, <laughs> that's where they invented Canada Dry. Right. Or, like, it was his child's name. He named his child Canada mm -hmm. because he was always lying. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> he when he walked into a room was like seven and he didn't old. know his child was there, you know what he would say? Tell me. Oh, Canada. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, he made his ale, his, sure. his ginger ale. And then the, what happened was the little child was always lying and said, I like it. He said, you know what, then? We're going to call it Canada Dry Ginger Ale. He was saying it with a very, uh, the kid was saying it with a very sarcastic, kind of almost British wit. So yeah, Canada was being dry about it. Yeah, so mm -hmm. I think uh, you know, I, I think um, we can just go ahead and move on. Jed, you're the prosecuting attorney. You care to uh, cross-examine here? Well, Glenn, I, I wish I could believe that. I wish that your words didn't ring hollow in my American freedom-loving heart. <laughs> you know, Glenn made a good argument because Jed's going to the church voice, and we all know church voice means I don't have a point, but I want you to feel guilty anyway. Matt, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> There's another side to this, though. Tell us, Lee. 
Because I mean, as you're saying, Jed, we we are we're we're Americans. Yeah, we're uh, we're we're uh, we're proud, red blooded, even. To, yeah, but you know, the color blood there's something be. there's something deeper than that. In that, Glenn is not just an American; he's also a Texan, That's which true. is like it's like a super strength American. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's so super strength American that you don't actually consider yourself American. Cause That's correct. Well, that is actually yeah, true. Yeah. true. That's there was Texan, a, a decade long advertising campaign for the state of Texas. Right. The slogan of which was Texas. It's like a whole other country. Yes, exactly. So I mean, it's like Glenn is super strength American, and at also adding, you know, with the Texan and the whole thing. Could it be? I'm just throwing this out there. Could it be that he's got Canada Dry at, in the fridge? He's he's trying to get to know his enemy before he takes it down. I mean, could it? Could this be like a a, a kind of a a secret plot to take Canada completely out. Well, this is a fantastic uh, uh, statement that you've made, and I can neither confirm nor deny any covert activities that we may or may not be uh, doing with Canada to, to infiltrate and do that by learning their ways and so on and so forth to uh, make them more American and also steal their maple syrup. Uh, so let's just, uh, move on. Lee, are you suggesting that Glenn might be not a double, but in fact a triple agent? Well, we know that he knows a lot about Canadian stuff. I mean, he's, you know, we we see him lightly making fun of it, saying, I didn't know it was from Canada, this and that, who's to say? I mean, Glenn's a, Glenn's a sharp guy. Uh, you know, I, I just personally don't buy the idea that he didn't know it was from Kent. I, I think there's something deeper, maybe more sinister going on here. Well, um, I think uh, the main thing is to to recognize as an American, uh, I have true patriot love for America. <laughs> Where have I heard those words before? <laughs> Where, I ask. It's like a thorn in my brain driving me mad. <laughs> All right. We've reached it. There's only one solution to this. Glenn, I place before you a bottle of Freedom Dry ginger ale. (laughs) Is it from Walmart? It is from Walmart. 87 ounces in this canister. It was also originally called French Dry, but Jed marked that out with Sharpie and wrote Freedom over it. Why don't you take a sip, my brother American? Well, first of all, let me just say this about America, is I stand on guard for America. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know what you guys are talking about. Doesn't that freedom dry ginger ale look delicious, Glenn? I I think... uh, Have a sip. I I don't think... I think I'm going to pass. I see. (laughs) This is getting... uh, This may be diving into a little bit of a paranoid territory. This is getting... Jed's getting his real his Joe McCarthy on here. <laughs> so maybe it's maybe be all white scare. Glenn has been Jed listed. Well, um, <laughs> there's there's no problem. The House Unbacon Activities Committee. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think um, you know uh, certainly if if Glenn says he's not a Canadian triple agent, that's good enough for me. Um, I think we should go ahead and declare emergency off, um, you know, and not so that I can go root through his trash and look for evidence of pro-Canadian activities. Let me tell you what, my patriotism for America is as tall as the CN Tower. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's all pretty, uh, you know, clear cut here. All Canadians are liars because of bacon. Right. Sure. And I love freedom and America. Right. And Canada Dry Ginger Ale, which is basically the only beverage that I consume. Right. <laughs> and it, uh, we have no proof that it's actually made in Canada. Hmm. Sure. You love America like Wayne Gretzky loves skating towards an open net. <laughs> that's correct. <laughs> I think that's all the, the evidence we need. On that note, I declare emergency off. Sure. Jed's talking to a man in a dark suit. Who's now scurrying off, but I'm sure that won't go anywhere anywhere weird at all. Look, I'm I'm de- fully devoted to the United States, my home and native land. That's good. <laughs> okay, so everybody be cool. We teach people a lot of weird things in this show. I never thought we'd be teaching them verses to 
other lands, national anthems. Oh, Canada. I look forward to uh, Glenn trying to work rural Britannia <laughs> into casual conversation, but the waves don't come up very often around here. All right. Yeah. We're going to take a quick word to mention a moment about Bridgebox. MissionUSA.com slash Bridgebox, where you can sign up. For $8 a month, you get sermons from Glenn, recorded live at the bridge. You get uh, music that Jed has made, written for the, our worship service. You get uh, other folks from our friends like Lee will contribute. Our friends Pete and Tasha do some very cool tracks every month. We get some uh, very talented friends from around the country to help us out. You'll get devotionals, you'll get uh, Bible studies, you'll get some videos. you get all you need in a little pack every month to work on a question central to your walk. We've recently done how do I know who to listen to or how do I know when to let go of something or how do I forgive will be coming up. So very real-world stuff that you can help you get your walk moving forward. And the $8 a month you pay for that helps us get people moving forward here in Chicago, people who are coming out of addiction, coming out of jail, coming out of street gangs, who they don't know if anyone cares for them. You get to care for them and get cool stuff for yourself. You get to help us put uh, shoes on people's feet, clothes on their back, help us get people into job programs, housing programs, and a lot of cool stuff that we would not be able to do if it weren't for your Bridgebox donations. Amen. And if you need, you like the idea of Bridgebox, but you just are worried there's not enough Lee Younger involved, you can sign up. For the Lee Younger brand of Bridgebox, missionusa.com slash B-B-L-O-Y. You'll get new songs yeah. from Lee every month, some other stuff he's curated from previous Bridgeboxes, and you will give money that will go to support not only us in Chicago, but also the work he's doing with youth and other folks in Tennessee. If you, if you want both of those, you can email me, matt at missionusa.com, for the super secret link to get both for only $12 a month. Can't beat that deal. All right, we're going to jump to our first question here. If you hang out with us all the way to the end, we'll give you some ways you can get in touch with us. First question came in anonymously at our Tumblr inbox. It says, say I meet a girl and I like her. Do I have to develop a friendship first before a romantic relationship? I've tried it both ways. When I try to be friends with her for a while and then ask her on a date, I get friend-zoned. When I just jump in and ask, ask her out on a date, I get, well, I don't really know you that well. Why don't we just be friends first? What's up with this? Lee, can you kick us off? Yeah, I can. Um, dude, you got to start driving this thing, man. Um, listen, uh, thanks for, thanks for writing in your question. We feel for you and we definitely want to help you on this thing. Here's the thing. If you get friend zoned, um, unfriend zone yourself, um, tell her in no uncertain terms, Hey, listen, I have no desire to just be friends with you. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually looking for a romantic relationship where we are dating and that's, what that's that's kind of where this is going. We've talked a lot on this podcast before that that any kind of friendship that you have with somebody of the opposite sex that that relationship has a, that relationship has an expiration date on it. That that is that is going to expire. That's the way that thing works. And it's up to you to kind of say this is look th these are my intentions. Uh, I I I don't I want to be real clear about the fact that I like you. This I I think you're pretty. I I think you're cool. I I want to. I, I'd love to go out. I'd love to start a relationship with you. Y you have to say this stuff. The the people when people get friend zoned, it's because they're letting something happen to themselves. Um, it doesn't actually. It, it's not one of those things that actually needs to exist, but. It's up to you to say this is this is not what I'm looking for. I'm actually looking for a relate and 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 here's the cool thing is if that person says, Okay, well, you know, I'm not really looking for that, you know, the second half of the question, somebody says, I don't really know you that well, can we be friends first? If they're trying to do the same thing to you, if they're if they're basically saying, I'm not interested, you can also uh you can also just move on. You, you can move on to somebody else. You can try to date somebody else. One thing that I think that gets people confused is they think there is just this one person, and this is the only this is the only person that I'll ever like. This is the only person I'll ever care about. And they haven't really dated anybody or anything like that. And the thing is, just ask some people out. Ask some people out. You know, become friends with people. However, it works. If you get caught in this friend zone, it's up to you to get yourself out of it. You've got to be clear about what you're looking for, what you want, what you want, what you're hoping for on this. Absolutely, Glenn. Well, I, I absolutely agree with that. I mean, you're, you're you if you're aiming for the friend zone, don't be surprised when you hit it, my man. You know, that's that's <laughs> not. Uh, that's not how this goes. Part of what you're dealing with, I think, let's be honest, is you're trying to form relationships with women based on trying to listen to what they tell you they want and then be that guy. 
And here's what you've discovered about women uh, without really realizing it, is that what they want is sort of complex and deep and nuanced in a way that's sort of beyond what they're explaining to you. They, they want all different kinds of things about friendship and about understanding, about taking time, but also having passion. It's a, it's a complicated thing, but they're sort of giving you a slice of that, and you're kind of trying to supersize that and do that to the max and what have you. Sometimes uh, all that can kind of lead you in a circle. She doesn't really know what she wants, but she'll tell you something, and then you try and be that, and then it's not that. So it's about trying to understand what it is that you want out of this relationship and offering that to someone else. Uh, if, if you ask a girl out and she says, well, I'd like to be friends first, say no, no, that's with that. We, this is here. You say, well, we need to get to know each other. That's called dating. That's what we're going to do. I don't want to be your friend. I want to be your man. M a N man. That's what I'm trying to do with you because I think you're pretty and I think you're awesome and I think you're smart and I think you have a great sense of humor and I want to date you and that's what's going on here. Now, if you want to take it slow because you're kind of freaked out, let's take it slow because you're kind of freaked out because maybe I'm a little freaked out too. So it's all cool. But if she kind of comes to you and says, well, you know, if she's trying to kind of let her fears and insecurities say, let me turn this around and try and kind of manipulate this into something I'm, I'm comfortable with, and you end up kind of chasing that, then we end up in a great big mess. It's better to, to be clear about what it is that you're offering and be clear about what it is that you're suggesting to these young ladies. And sometimes they get confused on that. And also, Glenn, not to interrupt you, you're, but you're good. this is this is the skill. You know, clearly talking about what you actually want out of a relationship is the thing that you're going to have to do for the rest of your life if you actually land this. Exactly relationship. right. Exactly right. Being able to to be clear about uh, what it is that you want this relationship to be, and how you want to serve each other, and love each other, nurture each other, look out for one another. Yeah. All this is really good stuff. Um, I think sometimes, uh, and, and we will say this often on this podcast, that that there's a lot of confused stuff about Christian dating. So when we're talking about Christian dating, you may be dealing with someone on the other side who's heard, well, you have to be friends first before you can be this. You have to do it this way. You have to do that way. There's no one right way to date people. And I think it's important for you to recognize that if you come up with a way that you think is perfectly godly and perfectly good at forming a romantic relationship that honors Christ, then I say, go for it. I bet your best idea on that is for you and this young lady is a thousand times better than anything that you can read in a book. I, I really do believe that. Um, so I think be assertive with that and let these ladies know what you have to offer. When you say, I want to ask you on a date, tell them what that means. I'm not talking about a deep romantic entanglement. I'm not talking about where we're just exclusive to one another. I'm not talking about pre-engagement. I'm not talking about all these. I'm just talking about you and I getting a cup of coffee and talking. Yep. Uh, we don't have to be friends first before that, because that's what, that's how we're going to get where we're going. Uh, but no doubt I'm aimed at having a romantic relationship with you because that's what I want. Absolutely. Judd. Oh, I'll just add a, a real quick thing on there. Glenn and Lee both are writing what they're saying. So what do you do where you do, you know, yet you, you say, Hey, uh, I'd like to take you out on a date, and she says, hey, I think we should just be friends first. And you say, oh, I don't want to be your friend. I want to be your man. I want to take you out on right. a date. And that, what that means, we're going to get coffee. Here's what it does mean. You know, here's the whole thing. I'm not trying to you know, do anything physical. I am just you know, want us to get to know each other. And she says, yeah, no, I'm not feeling that. What do you do then? Well, the answer is you say, hey, no problem. Um, right. You know, right. uh, wish you all the best. Um, mm -hmm. And then you go find somebody else and you ask them out for coffee. Yeah. And that's the world. That's the world. Um, understand, once you've clearly, and we want to be you know, crystal clear on this, once you've kind of clearly articulated, here's what I'm looking for, here's what I mean, here's what I don't mean, if she says no at that point, it, you need to let that go. Right. Um, you know, it's just, hey, yeah. uh, no problem. You know, uh, uh, rock and roll, uh, have a good one. Um, but the, the thing is, there are, um, there are girls and guys out there both who are freaked out by the idea of someone coming and asking them out. Um, uh, and they're freaked out um, in a way where they're not prepared to say yes to that. Um, mm -hmm. Even if they would or would not be interested in you specifically romantically, they're just freaked out by the whole thing. That's fine. But it's also not your problem to fix for them. Right. Um, uh, you know, if you express yourself clearly to somebody and say, I'm just not feeling that, um, 
um, uh, uh, brush your shoulders off. Uh, go find somebody else. Ask them out. Um, that's that's the beautiful thing about dating is um, you can you can date lots of people. It doesn't have to be a problem. It doesn't have to be a, a bad thing. Um, uh, if you do encounter some rejection, don't let that be the last word in your dating life. Um, uh, if you've got the courage to ask one person out, you've definitely got the courage to ask two people out. And you've already experienced the worst case. You put yourself out there, they shot you down. What else is there? And it didn't kill you. It didn't so. kill you, which means it's uh, it should be even easier to go to the next one and say, I'd like to take you out for a cup of coffee. Um, don't give up. You can do this. Uh, keep at it. A couple of quick things at the end of that. I want to jump onto something uh, Jed was saying there. The advice you heard from Glenn and uh, Lee is excellent advice. The delivery system, which they gave it, is from older guys who have been married, who in their singles days had something that has apparently gone extinct now called game. Yes. If you don't have any game, when you say, you want to grab a cup of coffee, you know, say, oh, no, not with no. I want to be your man. You got to have a certain amount of game to pull that off. Right. Or you're going to creep us all out. Sure. Right. Don't start there. Right. Take take the concept, internalize it to your own level. Right. And when they say, I always say, well, I'm actually, I'm actually kind of full up on friends, but I think you're great. So if you decide you ever want to do it at the cup of right. coffee, you have my number. Why don't we do that? Exactly. Sure. You got to be smooth. Smooth first. Then yes. you can combine smooth with a certain amount of aggressive. Yes. That's fine. Sure. Well, I was, one last thing I want to say. A quick word about the friend zone. That's not a thing that exists. Yeah. Stop it with the friend zoning. Yeah. Here's the deal. You don't become friends with someone in the hope that you will be so good at friend, you get upgraded to boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing Glenn and Lee are saying. All these guys are saying. That's not a promotional level thing. Sometimes that does happen. People are friends, and they decide they catch feelings or whatever, and that's all cool, but that's not a direct line to boyfriend. So to be friends with someone and enjoy their friendship and be good at being a friend and be mad at them when they don't want to upgrade you is not cool. Yes. Because that reveals a couple of things. One, you think if you're nice to a girl long enough, she should just start making out with you. (laughs) A little weird. And B, when you finally have that meltdown... It's going to make her think, well, this dude's just been my friend for so many years. He's trying to get in my pants, which is also creepy. Not that that's, and these guys are saying, no, that's your fault. Unfortunately, there's a whole lot of undercurrent on that, the whole nice guy thing on the internet and whatnot. Here's the thing. Nice guys finish last and friends and all that crap. Just let go of it. Say what you want. Take it like a man if they don't agree. And these guys are saying, move on to the next one. Yep. It's all just that simple. All right. I'm going to jump to our next question here. This came in anonymously. It says... There's a church in my city, the second largest in that city, that is known for being outwardly focused. But these days it seems to simply be a reputation. They used to have an amazing ministry for people with special needs, but they cut it. They've also had a ton of staff change and turmoil. I recently learned that the senior pastor who just retired made around $100,000 a year, and their operations director makes close to $120,000 a year. And their new senior pastor decided to take up an additional appreciation offering to send the outgoing pastor on a luxury vacation abroad. I've also recently learned that our city is the second in the nation in child hunger, and that doesn't make sense. I go to a church with an amazing, with an amazing staff where they lead humbly and sacrificially and tries their best to focus on things near to Jesus' heart like the poor and orphans and the brokenhearted. But now I know that that is unfortunately not the norm, and I feel blessed by them. I've come face-to-face with the kids who make up those hunger statistics, and I just don't understand how this big church can justify sitting on their money like that. I'm pissed and confused and want to flip at least seven tables. How do you navigate what seems to be people wasting money that God gives them while trusting God's sovereignty in the midst of it? Jed, can you start us? I can, and uh, my friend, um, we appreciate you writing in, and um, uh, I'm sorry for the pain that you're going through and experiencing here. Um, I'm going to start with just one thing, and that is you said, um, how do you navigate what seems to be people wasting what God gives them? Uh, it, it doesn't seem that way. It, it is that way. Hello. Um, Amen. And, and we want to be very, very clear on this. Um, um, all four of us in our work, um, wind up kind of being a fly on the wall with a lot of stuff with a lot of different kinds of churches, some of them very large churches with a lot of resources and, um, with very, very few exceptions, every large church that, um, we've dealt with, um, uh, treats money like something they would set on fire. 
Um, the the level of waste boggles the mind. Um, the thing that jumps to mind, because I'm uh, where you are, a friend who wrote this in, a little bit on a journey of learning this, and when I first got to uh, town, Jed used this example to illuminate this idea. There's a very large church in Chicago that uh, was they were showing him around, and they pointed out their spare sound system, their backup portable sound system, which cost $250,000, which had never actually been used. Stop. It lived in a closet at this church. Yeah. $250,000. We know, it's, uh, it's absolutely right, we know megachurch pastors that drive Bentleys. Um, for those keeping score at home, that's a $200,000, $300,000 car, depending on the options. Uh, we uh, know megachurch pastors with private jets and private helicopters, um, you know, people who wear um, uh, French couture outfits that cost thousands of dollars in order to preach and whatnot. There's an unbelievable amount of waste. And um, to kind of make matters worse, as as much waste as there is, as much money as flows into some of these large churches, you would not believe how little money um, incredibly good inner city churches have to deal with at the same Amen. time. Amen. You could say um, that again. We're privileged here in Chicago to work with um, – a dozen plus of the finest churches I've ever seen anywhere um, that, that happen to be inner city churches. And um, I think, I don't think I know of one where the pastor doesn't have some form of day job um, to supplement yeah. his income because the church is not able to pay him a salary. Um, um, uh, I, I'm talking about uh, churches where uh, you uh, walk in and every part of the building is falling apart. Um, you know, everything is broken, everything's decrepit, and these churches are doing the finest ministry um, you've ever seen, ever heard of in your entire life. So uh, it's not that it seems like they're wasting money. They are wasting money. Yeah. Um, uh, and they're wasting money that could go to feeding hungry kids. Uh, they're, they're wasting money that could go to... Um, um, supporting inner city churches that don't have any money, they're 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 wasting money, and it's a terrible thing. It's it's a wrong thing, and it's something that um, ultimately they, they are going to have to answer to God for. Um, and I, I don't think that particular conversation is going to be terribly much fun. The thing that we have to ask for ourselves is, um, what do we do about that? Uh, what's what's our role in that? Because. The funny thing is it's easy to get wound up on how wrong it is. And it's really, really wrong. I yeah. mean, crazy wrong. But the question is, what are you prepared to do about it? Um, what I would suggest, and, and that's really a question, how do you find your calling? And that's something ultimately where you, you want to listen to the Lord on it. You want to um, uh, uh, listen to that still small voice of the Holy Spirit. But the thing that I'd encourage you to look at is... Um, um, if you've thought maybe it's a valuable thing for you to do work with poor people uh, and, and to help them, uh, the one thing this should illustrate to you is it's ten times more important than you think it is. Yeah. Because most of the people who have a reputation for doing it are not doing anything. Right. At all. Right. They are just setting money on fire. Yeah. Um, uh, um, the best, most effective, finest work with poor people in Chicago that we see is not from large organizations. It's certainly not from large membership churches. It's uh, small outfits with almost no budget who have an almost cockroach-like ability to avoid getting squished by life and just refuse to give up. Um, uh, uh, the poor desperately need advocates in this country, and I imagine in every country, they desperately need people who will make sacrifices to see them fed and clothed and taken care of and uh, be told about the love of Jesus. Um, I think one of the key takeaways on this for you and for all of us is to recognize um, the harvest is plentiful, but man, the workers are few. Um, there are a ton of people who are in a position to do that and are not doing it, are not trying to do it, have the resources, are not going to spend them on it. It comes back to, are you prepared to do something about it? Jesus can multiply loaves and fishes, but he can't work with a heart that's not willing. If you're willing, he can do amazing things through you. Absolutely, Lee. Um, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And here's the thing is... One of the things that I continue to be thankful for, and uh, the guys that I work with, we say this to each other a lot whenever people tell us these kinds of stories, is my takeaway is, boy, I'm glad I don't have to answer for that. Yes. Hello. And that's kind of the, I mean, you know, 
and understand, I, I, I know how you feel. When you hear stories about people's salaries and you, and you hear stories about unbelievable, you know, uh, you know, the unbelievable ostentatious buildings and, you know, uh, you know, just equipment and everything that happens. I understand how upset you, you know, you say, I want to go and flip seven tables and all that stuff. I understand where you're coming from. I, I know how that feels. Um, what I'd love to, uh, what I'd love to suggest is, you know, sit down and say to yourself, I'm so glad I do not have to answer for that. I'm so glad I'm not responsible for that. Another thing that's going to happen is that, you know, a, a lot of times, and this is sad, it's unfortunate, it's ridiculous, but you'll, you'll have these types of situations. You'll have these types of, they're, they're, they're less like churches. They're more like, like cities, communes with the mayor over the thing, running the whole deal, or sometimes they even sound like mafias and stuff like that. It's crazy. The, the, some of the stories that you hear are crazy. And then, you know, there are moral failures, and then they can't fire the guy because there's a whole industry around it, and there's books, and there's journals, and there's, you know, there's all kinds of stuff, and we just, we can't, we can't stop this machine. And here's one thing that you can do on this. Number one, don't go to it. Yes. <laughs> oh. Yes. Number two, and I'm serious about this, stop buying their books, man. Yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, here's the deal. Um, you don't have to... Look, just because the new hot Christian book comes out, you don't have to leaf through every page and sign on to that. Um, they, they may not have anything to say. Okay, and and that's the whole deal. One of my favorite, one of the only, one of the only Christian authors that I like to read that's writing books right now is not a pastor. His wife is a physician, and he's just a writer. Which, if you're keeping score at home, that means he only writes a book when he has something to say, and that's a really nice thing. He doesn't write a book because he has a contract to write them and stuff like that. So recently, uh, a few years ago, or you know, recently, I don't, I don't know when it was, there was a book that came out about discipleship from some really famous pastors. And the one thing that the book was just glaringly missing was actual stories of human beings who were being discipled. That's very curiously. Mm. Well, then, the, and then, you know, you, you're leafing through this thing, and then finally there's a story. And this American pastor says, for instance, one time I was discipling a group of guys in Somalia. And you're like, no, 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 time out. No, no, no. I don't know. <laughs> no. What you're describing is a short-term mission trip where somebody invited you to come give three talks, and then you got back on a plane and went back to Estados Unidos. That's not discipling. That right. is the opposite of disciple. That's not the way that works. What you find is a lot of times is that these empires are built on everybody buying the book and everybody going along with the flow of this thing. I have learned so much from a man who has never written a book. And he learned so much from a man that no one has ever heard of who never owned a computer or a book or anything, never said anything that anybody quoted or anything like that, uh, what you're going to find is the people who are the most legit, you've never, ever, ever heard of them. You've never heard of them. What you want to do is you want to find that, we've talked about this so many times, but it's so true. You want to find that Master Yoda. You want to find somebody who's really, really doing ministry and attach your life to theirs. Find out how to do it. Find out how to love people. Because Jed's right. If you want to know what the correct response is, the correct response is you do something about the poor. Yeah. Yeah, you do something about the lonely. You do something about the unfortunate. You do something about special needs folks. And, uh, and, and it doesn't have to be a program. It can just be you reaching out to one kid with special needs. All right? And, but finding somebody who knows some, a thing or two about ministry. And here's the deal. Uh, you know, we'd be glad to answer specific questions on, okay, I've got a, I, I'm bummed that this special needs ministry shut down. I want to know how to crank it back up. Hey, we've got specific answers and pe I have people you can talk to today. I've got their phone number, uh, people that started special needs ministry and you can find out how to do it today. So hit us back on that because the answer is you. 
And I, I know you're upset, but I'm telling you, turning the tables isn't going to do any good. And m- here's the deal. More people are going to go in there. More people are going to get fired. That's the way that's going to happen. But the, the answer for you is keep going to that church you love. Keep going to that church that cares about people. It takes care. If it takes care of missionaries, yes, take care of missionaries. Pay for for them, help them, give them money, help them stay out on the field doing their thing. That's what churches exist. But one of the reasons, by the way, that churches exist is to keep missionaries on the field. All right, so make sure that you're in a church like that, keeping missionaries on the field. Find somebody that can mentor you, and you be the answer to these dropped programs and these dropped ministries and that kind of stuff. Absolutely, Glenn. Yeah, you know, in trying to talk with you about this, and, and we're certainly glad you brought this up. Uh, we're all struggling in a way, if we can be honest with you, because almost every single day we hear stuff that's way worse than this yeah. about this exact same thing about greed in the suburban American church. Yeah. And as, as much as you feel like flipping over tables, believe me, we feel all of that and <laughs> then some. Yeah. Uh, part of that's because... Uh, our income is, and, and the income of all sorts of missionaries, as, as uh, Lee was pointing out, and the income of inner city churches is being choked out by all this. So it affects us in a very real and very personal, very direct way. Um, you sense that this is wrong, and, and maybe you're asking this question to us uh, with a sense of, you know, uh, 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 Maybe it's not quite as wrong as it seems, and maybe I'm having an overreaction and so on and so forth. You are not. This is worse than what it seems. This is wrong in a way that we have just become kind of uh, used to. But this is a runaway, filthy rich kind of a scenario. This is radically inappropriate. Uh, So we're not going to talk you out of that viewpoint on it because uh, you you have you've come to the the right uh, look at this but here's the thing <laughs> uh i'm now going to try and explain to you how we all got here uh and i'm going to try and say sympathetic things to, towards these people who drive me completely nuts with the way that they're acting really really inappropriately but the truth is uh for years there's been a a fad there's been sort of an inside thing that you know, church growth consultants and so forth will tell churches, if you want to grow, build a building. If you get a big building, people will assume that you're doing some great ministry and your church will grow. <laughs> and they say, well, well, we don't have money for a building. They say, beat your people to death, get a mortgage, by the time you're done paying off that mortgage, people will be, you know, or by the time the mortgage payments kick in, people will start showing up, and then those people will then pay for the building that you've mortgaged. And what all of these churches have figured out is that when they get enough people in to pay for the building, we don't have room for all of them, so we need a new building. And that is a is a growth curve they never get ahead of. In other words, all of these churches, these mega churches, have to grow to keep from completely going bankrupt. Yep. Are you suggesting they're all in debt, Glenn? <laughs> massive, <laughs> massive debt. I mean, when, when when you're talking about mass layoffs and whatever, that's what you're looking at. I mean, we see that. We again, we know this is sort of everyday stuff for us. As Jed pointed out, we hear a lot of the sort of inside talk about what goes on in churches. Um, and this is how this stuff works. They're not trying to do something evil, as evil as it ends up being. They're trying to grow as a church, and their idea is let's minister to more people, and if building a building is how we do that, let's just do that. The problem is they get stuck in a cycle they can't get out of. They're in a cycle of having to, to try and massively trump their success in order to keep this whole ball going. They would tell you, if we buy a ludicrously expensive sound system or projection screen or new home for the pastor or whatever, it gives us the appearance of success and that will cause people to be excited and put more money in the plate and therefore we can pay for all these things. It's crazy. It's a bad idea. I mean, it's a really super extra strength bad idea, but it's not evil in its conception. It's not evil 
uh, it's maybe not wise and maybe a little naive and whatever have you. Uh, but uh, it, 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 we have to make a distinction that it goes to someplace evil with good intentions. Um, and let me, as I wrap up on that, let's make sure that we understand nobody is putting the truth of this out there. And it drives us nuts because we know this stuff. I mean, we know it chapter and verse, but it's kind of like if we say something about it, well, that's sour grapes because you're jealous of their fame or you're mad because they're not giving you money and so on and so forth. So we can't say anything. Same is true for inner city churches, as Jed was pointing out. There are inner city churches that do amazing work you would not believe with the best pastors in the world. Nobody knows about them. Nobody knows that they're hurting. And there's a white church in the same denomination 10 miles away that's got money shooting out their ears that doesn't know and and can't be bothered to find out what the budget is for this church in the inner city where they're all starving to death and the pastor has a day job in order to keep this thing going. That's the reality of what's out there. And there's no one speaking up and saying, you know, whatever, because that inner city church can't stand up and say, we're black and we're poor. You're white and you're rich you work out how we got here and you tell me why we're not making any forward progress they just can't do that and they they don't do it they're not going to do it i want to do it but you know again i'm not in that position either uh but no one's putting this word out there and i don't know that that's the the you know the most important thing to to happen is just saying i think this ought to be about putting that uh, focus on you very quick last thing to say on this Check your own church. If you're listening to this podcast, everybody thinks their church is great on this stuff. Yep. It's the other ones that are jacked up. Do some hard, hardcore research. If they're doing good in your church, pray about giving them some more money and getting that church mobilized to do more stuff. If they're not, you might be in for a little bit of a rude shock because this stuff does is all too common. And maybe there's a missionary, maybe there's an inner city church that you want to support uh, while you attend the church that you're at now. That's a great point. I'm going to jump right on the end of that. There are some assumptions we all make about the way Christians spend money based on what it should be. Here's the thing about all these uh, suburban megachurches. Their number one goal is bringing in more money. Yep. The way you can tell that is every decision they make is based on bringing in more money. <laughs> it's all, as, as Glenn's saying, bigger building, bigger billboard, uh, pastor on a book tour, whatever it is. They make no decision that is not based on bringing in more money. Now, there are people in those churches who help people on a volunteer basis. That church may, you know, do a thing, this and that, that helps. And that's all great. We know a church here in Chicago, which there's uh, obviously Chicago's third largest city in America. And there's a massive uh, poverty problem here. There's huge unemployment and all that stuff. Their, their solution was to build a $10 million building in the suburbs. Yep. There's a, the city of Chicago is its own thing. And then about 30 minutes kind of Northwest 35 is about where this church is set. And they built a building across the street from them where there are no poor people in one of the wealthiest suburbs in the whole. Yeah. The median income in this suburb is over a hundred, easily over a hundred thousand dollars, probably over a quarter million. Yeah. Now as Glenn, uh, Glenn at the time prophesied and I have a feeling this is going to come true because, again, we've seen this happen a few times. What's going to happen is in a couple of years, they'll quietly fold the poverty end of that and just have a new $10 million building. Yeah. It's all based on that. I'm gonna, again, we don't say this to be mean to people. We don't say this. We, this is the kind of thing and that happens, that happens all the time. And as Glenn pointed out, everybody out there, when you're looking at a church, oftentimes we look at a statement of faith. We look at the pastor. We look at the worship. We look at this and the other. The first thing you need to be looking at is a statement of faith and a copy of the budget. Yep. And if they don't want to give you that, it's because it's so screwed up. They don't want anyone to know. Yep. I'm looking at this. Is, I'm not going to, again, we don't on this podcast, I'll reiterate this. We don't really name people or organizations because we know that all this mega church stuff, as weird as we think it is, and it is, somebody out there has heard a sermon or read a book or whatever by this guy when they didn't know anything about the Lord and it taught them something basic that helped. And we're not interested in undercutting all of that Amen. because of how angry we are about this. But this is a very uh, large megachurch run by a very famous person I guarantee you have heard of. 
And their income in 2012, I'm looking at the budget they put out on their website, was $24.6 million. $12 million of that, so half, went to staff salaries, what they call personnel costs. $3 million went to operations. $830,000 in one year went to technology and equipment. They spent $800,000 on computer equipment in one year. And the year before that, they spent 860000 Administration is $1.4 million. Facilities is $3.3 million. Church planting partnerships, not helping other churches, only churches that bear their name, 800000 mm. Interest, interest, 560000 Depreciation and amortization, which is a fancy term for kind of uh, we bought something and it depreciated in value or some investment stuff 1.6 million they excess revenue over expenses 969,154 dollars at the end of the year they had almost a million dollars in extra money you'll notice and that's the entirety of the budget they put out you'll notice that nowhere in there is what they would call uh mercy ministries or helps or missionaries or feeding poor people none of that made its own budget category. Maybe that fell into something like operations or administration, but even then it was a drop in the bucket. And I guarantee you, 80% of the people who go to that church have no idea. Yes. Yes. And that's yes. why they keep going. So for yourself, one of the things we can keep doing going forward is look at how people who claim to be working for Jesus spend their money. Jesus was very clear. You can't serve God and money. You can either make decisions that are based on the bottom line, or you can make decisions based on what God is calling you to do. But you can't do both. Our question asker here, you sound like you found a church that's on the right thing, and that's uh, to be celebrated. It is a rarity. But for all the rest of us out there, we're looking at churches. We need to always take a look at the budget. And if you're looking at a budget, don't know what it means, uh, screenshot and email it to us. We'll help you out. All right, we're going to move on to our last question. It came in anonymously with our Tumblr. It says, I'm reading on Uncle Glenn's blog, parentheses, quite popular. Hmm. Mm. I've heard that. Glenn has trained the audience well. I'm reading on Glenn's blog that grace is the right reaction to sin, but I need to hear more on that because I see a lot of reactions from Christians towards seeing people sin, but grace is almost never one of those reactions. <laughs> yeah. Glenn, can you start us off? Yeah, I'll, I'll lay the groundwork and let these guys tee off because, yeah, there, there's certainly a lot of stuff on that. Um, it, it, let's start here. The real question that we're struggling with is how do we coexist with sin? We know that a sin is existing. This person is doing something that I know to be a sin. But as Christians, there, there's a lot of struggling with how do I react to that? How do I react to this guy says he's cheating on his wife. This guy says, you know, he's ripping off the company. This guy, whatever, whatever it is. How do I react to all these things? And there's part of what we're trying to point out here is that there's a mentality that sometimes you're not around sin and then all of a sudden, boo, sin jumps out at you and now you're confronted with sin and now you have to do something to karate chop it and then to be really Christian. Sweep the leg. Exactly right. Here's what we want to try and nice. you know switch this thinking around. First of all, Sin is all around you. Hello. Sin is the color of the wallpaper in the room that you're in. Sin is the main thing that you share in common with the rest of the human race. Sin is everywhere. If you say, well, I need to react to it, you will not have a life because there's something to react in every everything everywhere. Also, Jesus didn't really say, I want you to, whenever you see a sin point at it and say, ooh, you did, ooh, look, ooh, 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 and you're sinning. I bet you didn't know that thing. That's so good, man. But there are some people out there in the world who are like, you know, these people doing things that is wrong, and it's in the Bible that they shouldn't do that. I should tell them that. And this part of you wants you to just cuff them and say, don't you think they know that already? I mean, word gets out. You know, people hear what is in the Bible. They They know. So this mentality of the only thing that's keeping people from being on the straight and narrow is you preaching them a sermon about what's in the Bible, it really just doesn't hold water is a, is a wise and smart way of looking at this stuff. 
Uh, God's not calling you to be the sin police. And what I want you to do, here's the thing, is when we're talking about this stuff just as, as the four of us, just as dudes, we'll say, you know what so-and-so said that you should do about sin, or you know what so-and-so, how they're bashing away at this sin or that sin or something else. What we say to each other is, I wonder how that would go down at uh, Cook County Jail. I wonder how that would go down at Anderson County Jail. Uh, I'll go in and tell those brothers uh, that kind of stuff. So let me tell you what I mean by that. Um, uh, uh, Lee and his pastor volunteer uh, at a at a church, uh, or excuse me, at a, at a jail there in their county. We, we do stuff, uh, prison ministry stuff, uh, here in Cook County, uh, which is Chicago, the county outside of Chicago. Now, one of my responsibilities there for a, a few years back, and I want you to picture this, is that I would go in uh, once a week, uh, in the middle of the day, I would go into a, a room. It's a big, big, wide room. I want to say it's maybe 35, 40 feet wide and maybe 50 feet long. And it's just one big open space. And all of the walls, all the way around, are doors. And each of those doors, it leads to a cell. So they unlock those doors all at once, and the inmates all come into one central room. It's about 70 guys in that room. What I would do once a week is they would unlock the door. I would go into that room, and they would lock that door behind me, and I'm in there by myself with those guys. Now, here's, here's what exactly you do. guys who are in there for unpaid parking tickets either. That's correct. Um these are the, these in, at that time. This was Division Ten of Cook County Jail, and these guys were mostly in there for capital offenses, uh, you know, murders, attempt murder, that kind of stuff, violent crimes mostly. So, picture yourself in that room and saying, "Okay, I want to be the sin police and tell these guys anything I see they're doing wrong." And they've I, had enough police, man. Dude, you the, <laughs> in that moment you'd realize I need to have a little bit of subtlety or they will kill me. <laughs> There's no row after death row. And that's the thing, exactly right. That's the thing is you learn how to not be a jerk face by being in a position where they could kill you and saying something smart that helps them and confronts the sin that's in their life. You learn very quickly. Now, we've benefited by that, and so it's super easy for us to sit out here on this podcast and tell you how it should be. But there, there are a lot of people that their conception of how do we deal with sin and, and how do we address that is based on them being a million miles away from the people that they're talking about. And they're saying, you know what we ought to do about those people, and then they and they concoct their little, you know, whatever, and they get themselves wound up on it. But if you have to sit face-to-face with someone who's done something wrong and is struggling with that and you have to help them deal with that, I guarantee you 100% of the time you will be forced to find a way to be a decent human being. And you will, you will sit there in that moment of having to be a decent human being and you'll say, well, you know what? I know I'm supposed to be against sin, but here's the thing. I'm also supposed to be preaching the good news of the gospel. It's it's supposed to be about grace, and everybody likes grace, and no one will punch me in the face if I say something about grace, and there's almost no chance of me getting shanked if I come in here and preach grace. So you know what? I'm going to preach grace because that's in the Bible and everything. Yep. And that's how you learn to be a decent man of God. And that's so we've had that experience. But I want you to picture that. Would that go down at Cook County Jail? That little <laughs> comment, that little thing that you have, that thing you want to get up and preach, that thing you want to say, that thing you want to put on Facebook, is ask yourself: Would I be willing to get shanked to say this thing? I would pay real money to walk into the walk here in Chicago. There's a very famous Christian college called the Moody Bible Institute into Homiletics 101 in here. There's almost no chance you'll get shanked if you preach grace. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Jen? Well, look, you said um, uh, in your question, and thank you, by the way, for your question. We appreciate you writing in. Um, you, know, you read that uh, grace is the right reaction to sin. Here's why grace is the right reaction to sin. That's because it was Jesus' reaction to sin. Hello. That, Hello. That's why it's the right reaction. Um, uh, most of y'all know the story, but real quick, there's a famous story in the Bible. I believe it's uh, John chapter eight. Um, the woman caught in adultery. Sure. Um, and um, it's in there. It's in there. It's it's either eight or eleven. I'm old and I forget things. Uh, but there's a gal who's caught in the act of having sex with someone she's not supposed to be having sex with, and um, uh, a group of church people 
catch her in the act. No one knows how that happened, but they catch her, and basically, butt naked, they drag her down to the church building, and they throw her uh, in front of Jesus, which is a really rude thing to do, um, and they say, we caught this woman in the act of being naughty, um, and uh, the Bible says, and in this case, they're talking about the first half of the Bible, the Bible says we can throw rocks at her till she's dead, so what do you think? Now, let's pause for a second. That's the response right there of most church people to sin today is let's drag that poor person out in the street and throw rocks at him. That's, that's actually what we see most of the time. Here's what happened. Jesus at first said nothing. Like they're trying to make a big to-do and a big commotion. He didn't reply at all. And finally, they kept pastoring and kept pastoring. And uh, Jesus said, well, I'll make you a deal. Whichever, I know you guys want to throw rocks at her. Whichever one of you uh, hasn't sinned before, you throw the first rock. You got to start it. And then we can, we can all throw rocks at her. And that's all he said. And one by one, each of these people walked away until it was just Jesus and the lady. And Jesus looks over at the lady and says, so uh, nobody condemned you? Nobody threw any rocks at you? And she says, nope, no one. He said, well, I don't condemn you either. Once you go on and not sin anymore, that's grace. That story, that moment, that's grace. You, yes, by the rules, you deserve something bad to happen to you, but we're not going to do that. We're gonna, uh, we're gonna love you instead of punishing you. That's that's what grace yeah. is. Now, um, if you um, uh, see Christians reacting to sin. Um, more like the first half of that story, more like the church people, and less like the second half of that story, the, the Jesus part, that should concern you because uh, that's not following the example of Jesus. I think we want to look at why that might be, and I can give you one reason. This isn't the only reason, but this comes up a lot. People who know that they've been forgiven end up being gracious to other people. Yeah. Let, let me explain what I mean. Um, I... Uh, Jed Brewer, I am a great big enormous sinner, right? And I'm good at it. Sure. I mean, I have a talent for for being naughty. And Jesus chose to love me and forgive me anyway. Mm. Um, I deserve for him to say, "Depart from me, you sinner." But he didn't do that. He said, "Hey, I love you. I forgive you. It's taken care of. It's paid for. We're cool. If you're down, it's it's all it's all good." I <laughs> said, so "I'm I'm definitely down. That that offer works great for me." Well, based on the fact that I know Jesus loved me in spite of all my misbehavior, based on the fact that he's forgiven me, it's relatively easy for me to show that grace to other people. It's, it's actually kind of a logical extension. Now, by contrast, when you see people who really, really, really have a hard time showing grace, what that often relates back to is they're not sure they've been forgiven for their sins. Mm -hmm. Let me break that down. The dude that shouts loudest about the evils of pornography I will bet you $10 right now that guy looks at porn on his computer yep. every night. That's why Hello. he's so adamant about it. That's why he's so – because understand – He's he, trying to preach to himself, in other words. Exactly right. If he if this issue had been dealt with and he had truly accepted God's forgiveness and moved on, he'd say, hey, man, it's a struggle, but we can move past this. Let's right. get into it. Let's talk about it. Let's let's figure it out. Let's you know. Let's you know. We can do this thing. That's what a dude who's worked out his issues and accepted forgiveness from the Lord sounds yes. like. Yeah. The dude where his jowls shake and he talks about the sin of fornication. That's a dude that's right. sleeping with people he's not married to. Right. And as Glenn says, he's trying to preach that message to himself. Yeah. If you're hearing messages, and almost every time. That's the way that works. If you're hearing Christians, and particularly like big-name public famous Christians, reacting to sin in a way that doesn't exemplify Jesus, it doesn't ex exemplify grace, it doesn't exemplify, I don't condemn you either, go now and sin no more, that's a statement about what's going on in their own spiritual life. That's, yeah. that's what that's letting you know. Amen. Lee? Yeah, so... The, the thing that I'd like to do on this is, uh, and, and all that stuff is great, it's right on the money. The thing I'd like to do here is ask kind of a, a philosophical question, okay? Which is, why do we still, like, why does God still let us walk around with the sin nature that we have to wrestle with for the rest of time, uh, you know, for the rest of our lives here on earth? I mean, God can do anything. So when he saved us, why didn't he just eradicate our sin nature completely and just make us, you know, you know, get, get us to the finish line on the whole sanctification thing immediately. He could have done that. 
So why didn't he do that? I think what happens is, is a lot of people make everything, like the goal of Christianity for a lot of people is, we want no sin. That's the goal. We want to get to a place of sinlessness. But God saved us, forgave us, and left the sin nature in there that we have to wrestle with. You see, if God's goal is for us to be sinless, we have to face the idea that he's not doing a very good job at his goal. Mm. But what if he has a different goal? What if God's goal is, I want you for the rest of your life to learn how desperately you need me. Okay. Now, I want you to learn for the rest of your life how frail you are, how pitiful you are, and how much mercy I show you all day long, every single day. And I want the mercy, and and I'm going to keep loving you and keep showing you mercy every minute of every day. Every time you come back to me, I'm going to, with open arms, I'm going to take you back. I'm going to love you. You're you're my kid. And I'm going to do that. And and no matter how many times you fall, I'm going to do that over and over and over again for the rest of your life. And what we find out is if God's goal is he wants me to know how much I need him, and he wants me to find out how relentless his mercy and forgiveness is, now we find out God is a genius for leaving my sin nature in there and making me wrestle with it, because that's exactly what I'm learning. And the more I learn that, a very cool thing happens. If I see one of my brothers struggling, then I realize, you know what, man? I was there yesterday, and I can have mercy on him. And I can talk to him about it. And then when I'm struggling next time, he can talk to me about it. Now we can have mercy on each other. Now we can understand where everybody else is coming from. Now we see how much we need Jesus. Now we see how good mercy and grace and forgiveness feels. You see, if God's goal was to just eradicate sin, then he could have just gotten rid of our sin nature. But if his goal was to show us how much we need him and how much we need each other and how good mercy feels and how good forgiveness feels, then he's a genius for doing this. Now, I have to admit, I didn't make this up. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is the theology of a dude named John Newton who lived in the 1720s who wrote a hymn called Amazing Grace. And this is what he talks about all the time in his letters and sermons and that kind of stuff. And um, I, I'm, I've been getting to know that dude a little bit more, and I love this idea. And it makes so... You know, when you hear something and you realize, now that makes perfect sense with everything I've ever heard about Jesus and everything I've read, read in the scriptures about what he's like, and it just resonates with you. And it's like, yes, that's the deal. That I still struggle and, and, and I still wrestle with this thing because Jesus wants me to remember how much I need him. That's what this is really about. It's not about sinlessness. It's about about dependence on Jesus, and it's about how much we all need him and need each other. When you realize that, grace is easy, because here's the thing, and all of us are saying this, I need lots of it, and if it's anything other than grace, you're, I'm going to have to sign up for something else, because I need lots and lots and lots of grace, and it doesn't matter how old I get, I still need it more and more and more. That's absolutely true. I want to uh, pick at something uh, Jed said there and. uh expand on it, talking about why people don't jump to grace as a reaction to sin. And he gave the uh, the example of people who don't actually believe they're forgiven for their sins. I think that's very true. I think there's another group, which maybe even screams a louder, which is people who don't think they did all that much sinning to need forgiveness in the first place. Hello. Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, uh, Jesus talks a lot about, uh, here in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us, help us to forgive other people the way God forgave us. And there's kind of a... Uh, perfect corollary there between how much you think you needed to be forgiven of and how much you're not forgiven. So a lot of people, and unfortunately a lot of um, religious people are of the thought that, Hey, I've been going to church since I was a kid and I pay my taxes and I go to the PTA meeting and I, this, that, and the other, and I've never done anything, never been arrested, never done anything super bad. So, I mean, I guess in that bible way that we're all sinners, I'm a sinner, but I'm not a sinner like sinner sinners. And you can see that come out in a lot of uh, where this comes up is people will go on, as we've talked about in our last couple episodes, go on the Twitter and on the Facebook screaming about certain lifestyle choices that, hey, I'm just, I'm just saying the truth, man. If It doesn't count if you're not actively repenting of that sin that you're doing. And most of the time they're talking about homosexuality. And here's the deal. Everybody has stuff in their life that's a sin that they are not working on. They are not repenting of, and they are not trying to be told to work on right now. 
Right. Now, some of those may be more obvious, but that dude's got, as we've talked about earlier in this episode, you never hear a sermon about the evil of greed right. in the Hello. white church. Funny, because Jesus talked about that kind of a lot. Yeah. But you never hear that because we don't all want to be called on that. Same about anger and a short-temperedness and um, working out our own funky ideas and pride you don't hear much about. But we've some people have decided there's a couple of sins that are kind of super sins. Mm-hmm. And they like to judge people with those because for them that makes them feel like as long as I'm not doing that, I'm probably doing fine. Right. And it's a real dangerous mindset, and it's one that we all have to check ourselves on occasionally because we, we all have our different lists of that kind of stuff, but they're, I know for me and probably for these guys, there's stuff I really want to jump on people when they do that one thing that really tweaks me out. But uh, you have to come down to some idea of what you've been forgiven of. And it's and it's stuff that you've never really, you don't feel tempted to do it anyway. Yeah, totally. But uh, so I think that's a, it's an awesome question. One thing I'll follow up on, we love this stuff. We love follow-up questions. If you hear something on the podcast or if you read something on one of our blogs that you want a follow-up question on the podcast, leave us a message, mention that. We'd love to do it. It's kind of a cool thing to get multiple perspectives on a, on a question that maybe you, you found something that was interesting to you. So if you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com or the bridge, Chicago.tumble.com. Remember bridge box. Sorry, slash bridge box, only $8 a month. It does ministry to you and it allows us to do ministry to people in Chicago, or you can sign up for the Lee younger bridge box, missionusa.com slash BBLY. If you sign up right now, you will get <coughs> the special limited run Lee younger t-shirt. It looks awesome. You can check out Lee's blog for, uh, there'll be a picture of that on there somewhere. Uh, really great, uh, high quality t-shirt, uh, totally free when you sign up. So $8 gets you a bunch. If you sign up for the Lee younger bridge box, lots of free music, lots of cool stuff and a t-shirt that's worth about $24. You're not going to be that deal anywhere. So thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. The Say That Podcast, the true north, strong and free.